Hello, and welcome to another installment of The Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malifaux and the other side. Of the many denizens of Malifaux, few are as powerful and as feared as the tyrants. But as today's story shows, there are forces that are more powerful even than the dreaded tyrants. I hope you enjoy Forged in Darkness. Forged in Darkness by Graham Stevenson Man has always feared what he does not understand, and demonized that which he fears most. Spears, walls, and guns are all products of man's fear of the dark, and the things that dwell in it. Against some shadows, however, spears and guns are of no effect, and more dangerous arts must be employed. And so it was with the denizens of Malifaux, a dead people, now long gone from the face of that world with only the crumbling tombstone of the city as testament that they were ever there. But an age ago, they were mighty and knew many secrets. More capable and more terrible than the peoples of this age, they were nevertheless still afraid, for they knew better than we do the awful things that lurk beyond the reach of the sun. They took battle to these spectres, and many evil things were destroyed. But others proved too resilient for even that ancient race, and their skills to overcome. These horrors were finally banished or imprisoned, but at great cost. The city fell into ruin, and the flame of its people was extinguished. They have now passed beyond the memory of all but the very oldest relics of the last age but their deeds and legacy endure in the buildings they left behind and the secrets contained within. One such secret they buried deep, as far from light and life as their powers would permit. He was imprisoned within a crypt of cunning design, warded with old magic and condemned to slumber fitfully through all the ages of that world as a prisoner. And so he might have remained until the end, had fate and chance not played their part. All new inmates test the walls of their prison, and he was no exception. He strove to break the etheric bonds and shatter his stone necropolis, but the woven threads of restraint proved the mightier. He raged against his confinement, but ultimately in vain. He could not escape. He fell quiet for a time and thought dark thoughts and plotted. He could not escape, but as the years crawled by, he gradually became aware of the ebb and flow of the ether beyond his cell, whose tides could be sensed as one might hear an ocean that was many miles distant. There were symbols and meanings in those tides, swirling currents of purpose and intent, and he pressed himself to the wall of his prison, and he listened. He learned to release his mind, beyond his black oubliette and the endless crypts and vaults that honeycombed the foundations of the city, past the bright glare of life that still burned above him at that time, and into the sky and the distant, cold stars. And he called out. 
The necropolis was as black as the deepest shadow beneath the roots of the world, but Ionus was untroubled. His vision pierced all veils, and he knew every stone and crumb of mortar in this place, for he had watched its construction. Just as he had watched the formation of the rock countless eons before it was cut from the ground. He stood in the center of the musty space, an emaciated and ancient figure with a long beard as insubstantial as spider silk. The remains of a long robe were about him, but moved and shifted on an unseen current, and beneath the cowl burned two pinpricks of sharp light, as remote as they were ancient. The presence in the crypt, an indistinct mass blacker than the shadows, shifted as it became aware of the intruder. Who are you? The prisoner asked. His voice was oily and bubbling like a cauldron full of molten wax. I heard your call, Iona said. The prisoner drew closer, his form shifting and roiling in the blackness, spreading tendrils around the intruder. Noxious fluid seeped from him and hissed as they spattered the stone flags, but Ionus paid the corrosive venom no heed. He had watched this creature, as he had all other forms of life since inception, and understood him to be treacherous, volatile, and savage. There were traces of his former humanity to be found beneath the poisonous surface, but centuries of brutality and war had sunk them deep. Still, there was resourcefulness, a certain twisted brilliance. Formidable tools, if honed, and Ionus had time, all the time he needed. Who are you? The prisoner demanded. I am Ionus, replied the old man. The last age called me Father Time. The black mass seemed to consider this for a time. Ionus waited. It is you that I have sensed, the prisoner said in a tone of cautious revelation, beyond the walls of this necropolis. Ionus shook his head. It is the passage of time that you feel. I am its guardian. You called me to you. The prisoner digested this. How is it that you are able to pass the wards? He asked suddenly, how is it that you may enter when I cannot leave? The bonds of this necropolis were constructed to hold you, not I, Ionus said. You know me? By many names, Ionus nodded, as I know all life that has been and much of what will be. Then speak your master's name, the prisoner said with a mixture of gloating and menace in his voice. I have no master, said Ionus. Wrong, rumbled the prisoner, enveloping the old man in black tentacles streaked with toxic pus. I am plague, tyrant of Malifaux, and you will serve me. The tyrant attempted to sink his corruption into the old man, to scrape barbed hooks across the flesh to reach the bloodstream and claim him body and soul, but found his tentacles squeezing only themselves like an empty fist. Ionus had vanished. In a rage, Plague threw himself against the walls of his prison, which boomed and shuddered, but would not give. He lashed at every surface, 
ejected boiling foam that scalded the flags and filled the air with suffocating vapour. But Ionus did not reappear. Time passed, and in that black pit, plague could not say how much. Every second seemed a life's worth, and while the sun and stars wheeled above, plague brooded, buried, forgotten. After an interminable wait, when his pride finally relented, Plague reached out to the ether once again, half afraid that this time there would be no answer. I serve no one, Iona said from the darkness. It was as though he had never left. Your attempts to subvert or destroy me will come to naught. Plague's form was greatly diminished, his rage spent. He had shaped himself like a man dressed in robes that were of that time. The folds of imitation fabric glistened like wet leather in the starlight from Father Time's eyes. Plague stood in the gloom with a sombre expression, watching Ionus. It was unclear whether this was a device he had adopted or an unconscious manifestation of his chagrin. You say you are the guardian of time, he said. There was no apology for his barbarism, which was to be expected, but Ionus did note a subtle chagrin. I am. Then tell me my future. Will I escape this place? You may, Ionus said, or you may not. Plague's body rippled as his frustration reignited and his shape lost cohesion like a shadow revealed to be massed beetles, are you not the guardian of time? Do you not know my future? Which future? Ionus responded, opening his wizened hand palm up to the tyrant. A bright green line swam into existence, like luminous thread viewed through murky water. It ran through the tyrant and away, cutting through the thick stone wall of the tomb and onwards, yet it became no less visible. It ran straight and true for a long way, until it suddenly branched and branched again. The green threads quickly became bewildering, weaving through and around one another, rejoining in places and splitting in others. Some threads were a bright, urgent emerald, others faded until they were barely discernible. Many came to an abrupt halt. Pick one. What is this? The tyrant demanded. Your futures. Ionus explained, while the green veins continued to spread into the barely perceivable distance. Your futures are a tree. You stand now at the base of its trunk, and thus your path runs straight. But ahead branches choice, possibility, reflection, and coincidence. Beyond them both, Plague's futures now looked like a virulent infection separating the black flesh of space. The greenish corpse light lit the interior of the oubliette, dank stone walls that had not been touched by illumination of any sort in countless years. My future is not set. What about fate? Fate is a most powerful force. Ionus nodded. Insistent and influential, but not irresistible. History has proven that things do not always go according to plan even for the very wise. The scales are offset. By 
prompted Plague. Chance, Iona said. Life abhors predestination. Chance, Plague echoed his voice low. That the deeds of one such as I should be left to a squabble between fate and chance, that the path of my life would be no more purposeful than the toss of a die, a celestial game. If you allow it, Iona said. You speak in riddles, hissed the tyrant, and again his form swarmed and shivered in the darkness. Speak plainly. I do. Ionus replied. The passage of time and its disparate forces are unfathomably intricate and formation of the future exponentially more so. I have watched all events from the very beginning and I cannot accurately predict what is to come. Consider a leaf turning brown and falling from a tree. Fate decrees that it must fall and that it must eventually reach the ground. But who can predict precisely where or when it will land? or reach solid ground at all, when the winds of chance blow it hither and thither. Plague was silent, listening. Thus it is with each life, down through the centuries from the beginning, and thus it shall continue until the very end. Each life influences those around it, and fate and chance each strive to change the course of every one. The future is fluid. Only the past is set. You claim to have watched all events since the beginning, yet you stand here before me now. What events have you missed in that time? What you see is but a splinter of the whole, Ionis said. A cut diamond may have many facets, even if only one is struck by the sun. I see all. The tyrant watched those piercing eyes, and it was plain that he did not question it. Why did you answer my summons, spirit? To show you paths that you might take. Why? Ionus did not answer. To set me free? Father Time shook his head slowly. That is not within my power. Then what good are you? Snarled the tyrant. Ionis watched him for a long moment with perhaps the faintest touch of disapproval on his decrepit face, then vanished. The green illumination, sickly though it was, vanished with him, and the tyrant was left once more in darkness, buried deep beneath the earth. Years passed, decades, centuries perhaps, plague could not tell. The walls of his prison were scored, cracked, and pitted from his howling furies. But they had not weakened, and the etheric bonds were as tight as the day he was first imprisoned. He felt destitute, obsolete. His body liquefied and pooled in the recesses of the oubliette, and a deathly slumber slowly stole over him. The world above had forgotten him, and he passed through dreamlike fugues where he journeyed impossible distances into the unknown and his mind was burned by alien stars. He came to a blackness more empty and despairing than that of his tomb, and there he drifted for an uncounted number of years while the memories of life and movement atrophied. He would have undoubtedly been lost out there forever, 
had the voice of Ionis not cut through the distance between them. I can show you visions, he said, his words echoing off the walls of the necropolis and causing tiny ripples in the liquid flesh of the tyrant. Events of the past and the shadows they may cast over the future. It took the longest time for Plague to come back to himself, but he eventually rose from the tar-like puddles between the flagstones and reformed with an empty sighing sound, like a death rattle blown through the trees of winter. He regarded the spectre as a stranger for the longest time, until his memory slowly sparked back to life. You returned, he said drowsily. I had thought not to see you again. Ionis waited, the fibres of his ethereal beard rippling gently in a breeze that did not reach the physical plane. I wandered, Plague murmured, his voice thick. I know not where. I had strange dreams. The paths of time are perilous. Ionis warned, to walk so far without a guide is dangerous. You may never find your way home. You must come back to yourself. To what purpose? The tyrant sounded hollow. Fate, chance. I am a prisoner here. But even were I to be free, a prisoner of happenstance, I would remain. Ionis was unmoved, watching with those diamond-bright eyes from under his cowl. Eventually, Plague nodded once in weary agreement. As you will, he said. What visions would you show me? In response, Father Time raised his hand and spread his fingers. The black oubliette swam and vanished, and the tyrant had a sense of travelling at incredible speed, while partly glimpsed stars streaked past in burning white lines. They were in a laboratory. It was a grand affair, made of concentric rings of smooth blonde stone that supported a series of circular chambers. Equipment and devices of archaic and unguessable purpose sat on benches all around, and there was an acrid chemical tang in the air. Plague's first response was astonishment, but jubilation was hard on its heels. I am free, he gasped. No. Ionus said at his shoulder, This is a shade of the past. The walls of your prison still surround you, though they are for the moment unseen. As the tyrant took in his surroundings, his form unconsciously shifted and settled on that of a man, a tall man with a high, intelligent brow and strong, aquiline nose. His green eyes strayed over familiar laboratory equipment, and a thoughtful expression crossed his face. I know this place, he said. Indeed, Ionis agreed. This was your laboratory. As if in unspoken confirmation, Plague's double walked past carrying a bronze tray of smoking gravel that left a rose-coloured trail. The tyrant watched him pass, a faraway look in his moss-green eyes. This was so long ago. Together, they watched the ghost of Plague ascend sandstone steps and place the bronze tray on a wide table where he hunched over it and began to work through the gravel with a gleaming steel pick. I remember this, 
the tyrant whispered, drifting closer. He, I was searching for a very specific chemical compound. Difficult to synthesize, but with staggeringly potent necrotic and chronometric properties. Watch. His double finally tweezered out a smoking red grain from the waste material, which he carried with great reverence to a glass jar at another table. A pale rodent scuttled inside, its tiny claws working futilely at the sheer glass. The double dropped the grain into the jar and pushed a wide cork bung into the neck, sealing the smoking fragment in with the animal. The thin rose vapour gradually built within the jar, and as they watched, the rodent's movements became more spasmodic and laboured. It grew visibly thinner, and its fur began to show patches of silver, and then snow white. The rodent ages dramatically, you see. Plague was whispering, his focus wrapped on the contents of the jar. The vapour from the grain destroys the flesh. It breaks down the life force within. The rodent had flopped onto its back, little resembling the robust animal it had been seconds before. The white fur was peeling away from its white bones, which already gleamed as brightly as if they had weathered a year in the desert. Its beady eyes collapsed into the skull, and sand began to sift out, all that was left of the body's fluids. Fascinating, Plague said. It has been so long. I had forgotten the marvels I created here. The ingenuity, the wonder. I had forgotten that which I was before. The tyrant slammed his fist into his palm with an exasperated laugh. Had but I the chance to do this again, the discoveries I could make. I would become the master of time and death. Why should that not be so now? Father Time asked pointedly. The tyrant's excitement faded. I changed. My perspective changed. Now I have deathlessness of another sort. Not deathless, Iona said. Plague frowned. After my change, I tried to teach the people of the city the wisdom in cleansing disease, he said. They resisted me, and we fought long, but they could not kill me. Not being killed and being unkillable are very different things, Iona said. You speak in riddles again, spirit the tyrant said. Ionus turned his penetrating gaze on plague, and the laboratory swirled, shivered, and vanished. It was a battlefield. It could not have been anything but. The ground around them was rent and sundered, and thick, oily smoke lurched past them on a faltering wind. Somewhere nearby, a great conflagration roared like an ocean, the air around them blurred in waves from the heat of it. The stink of death was everywhere. What is this place? Plague asked. One far distant future, Ionis said. On the blasted ground a short distance away lay a body. It was utterly ruined by some titanic destructive force, and black corrupt fluids leaked from it. There was little enough to recognize, 
but Plague understood on some level he was looking at himself. How? The destructive arts of the city were not enough to vanquish you, the spirit said, his unflinching gaze on the tyrant. But there are far greater powers against which you have not been measured. As Father Time spoke, something vast and shadowed began to pass overhead. Though they were mere projections in this timeline, the force of its presence pushed the tyrant to his knees with a gasp. His form partially liquefied, and as he looked up through the clouds to the shapeless horror beyond, he realized what it was. The grave spirit, he choked. Ionis was silent, either ignorant or immune to the magical oppression. Spectre, the tyrant hissed, reaching out with an oozing arm. Take me from this place. The moon-sized skull visage was pushing through the clouds overhead, somehow able to detect the tiny visitors far below. As the black wave of the grave spirit's baleful attention rolled over plague, the ground under him shivered and vanished, and he was once again transported away at impossible velocity. Malifaux had rotted. Plague remembered white towers and gleaming stone edifices under a blue sunrise. Now it was a tumble-down ruin of blackened husks and crumbling porous brick shot through with spiny, unpalatable vegetation. Graceful spires that had once been tall enough to scratch the sky were snapped off at the knee, their artfully shaped stones scattered across the empty courtyards and squares of households long dead. Another future, Plague asked, barely recognizing the city that had once been his home. The present, Father Time corrected. The tyrant couldn't believe it, wouldn't believe it. Impossible. Where are the citizens? Dust, Ionis said. You have slept long, Plague. The tyrant was silent for a long time his face grim as he watched the indifferent wind blowing sand through empty windows and forming drifts against dry wells. Why? Ionis turned to face him. Why are you showing me this? So that you see things as they truly are, Father Time said. The foe that imprisoned you is now dead, far beyond the reach of your vengeance. Their great city, an eternal symbol of their achievement, has rotted and fallen. Even your smashed corpse, laying on a distant battlefield, is as lifeless as a rat in the glass jar. All undone by the passage of time. Plague frowned at him. All things fail in the end. Father Time continued, his eyes boring into the tyrant. All things bow beneath the weight of time. Then I will die, the tyrant growled, trapped in my stone jar beneath the earth. All things weaken and crumble under the onslaught of time, Ionis said again, all things, even prison walls. Play caught his breath, but before he could speak again, the city exploded into a million stars, and he was hurtled through and beyond them. After the bleak visages shown by the spirit, the garden was almost unbearably beautiful. 
Lush, carefully manicured grass spread for a hundred feet in every direction, and delicate subaki and momi flowers peppered the vivid jade with delicate crimsons and pinks. A pagoda made of varnished akamatsu wood stood to one side, manufactured and yet somehow still an integral part of the ensemble. Where are we? the tyrant asked. Another future, Father Time said. The breeze carried exotic fragrances to them, and plague flinched. It had been endless years since he had smelled anything other than corruption. A tussle of young children shouted and cavorted near the centre of the garden, three boys and one girl. Whatever game they were playing, it didn't look as though the girl was a willing participant. There were sticks involved, curved sticks of some light wood that Plague thought possessed a martial air, as much in the way the boys swung them as in their styling. He glanced at Ionus but the spectre's attention was fixed on the children as the sticks rose and fell and the girl's protests became louder. She was a head shorter than the others, and the similarities in their faces suggested siblings, big brothers harassing their little sister. Her poppy-decorated kimono was marked with dirt as the boys danced around her, chanting and swatting her with their play swords. Why have you brought me here? Father Time's attention didn't waver, but he began to speak. Many live their lives in accordance with fate, he said, never finding cause or motive to question their path. To follow the river is always an easier course than to fight the current. The tyrant's gaze followed the spectres, wondering what lesson was to be gleaned from the squabbling children. Others let chance steer their helm. Ionis continued, chaotic individuals who call home whichever port they are blown to. The girl's even brows were furrowed now, and she was shouting at her brothers, but this only seemed to incentivize them to further mischief. The wooden sword thwacks carried clear across the garden. But there is a third power that shapes destiny, Ionis said. Quite suddenly, the girl in the kimono snatched her elder brother's wrist and twisted, throwing the boy over her shoulder and wrenching the toy sword from his grasp in the same instant. The brittle stick snap of bone was loud, but not so loud as the crack-crack of two sword blows delivered to her other brothers, one to the side of the knee, the other across the bridge of a nose. The power of will, said Ionis. In the astonished silence before howls of pain erupted, Plague watched the fierce child standing her ground, sword raised, two of her brothers backing away, injured and wary, while the third writhed on the ground with a broken arm. And he understood. Something moved in the shadow of the red pine pagoda. A squat, muscular man in expensive silks moved to the rail with the unhurried purposefulness of the powerful and looked at his daughter in a new light for the first time. You compared fate and chance to the roll of a die, Ionis said, to a celestial game. Know then that to win this game you must play it. You must weather the blows of fate and chance and have the will to persevere. The will to fight on. And the will to win. The garden swirled and vanished. The stars wheeled. And Plague saw for an instant the vast gears and cogs of time grinding ever forward before everything was lost in a streak of unimaginable speed and distance. 
The suffocating dankness of the necropolis was all the worse now that plague had tasted the ghost of fresh air. Spirit, the tyrant said, you have shown me much. I have shown you all that is necessary, Father Time replied, taking a step backwards. And now I take my leave. Wait, Plague said quickly. I have seen many things. I have seen how the power that I thought I possessed is not as mighty as I once thought. Iona said nothing, but there was an infinitesimal change in his cold, bright eyes. You have granted me many visions, spirit, Plague said. But I will ask for one more. Which is? Show me the paths of my future once more. So much time has passed. I would know when my destiny would be at hand. Father Time obligingly raised his palm, and the pallid green glow rose to fill the oubliette once again. Green threads spread out around plague like jungle creepers. As before, the green line ran for a great distance before the first branches began to split. So far, in fact, as to be almost unchanged from the first time the path of his life was displayed. This cannot be, Plague whispered. So much time has passed already. Lifetimes I wandered in the empty spaces between the stars. Spirit, tell me that more time has passed than this. Tell me that my salvation is near at hand. Father Time took another step back, his head shaking slowly and solemnly. Many years yet you must wait, tyrant, he said, as he began to fade into the blackness of the wall behind him. I cannot see clearly whether fate or chance will grant you freedom, nor whether will alone can conquer the gulf of time that awaits. But your imprisonment is long from over. You must endure. If you would one day claim your freedom and seek ascension, you must endure. A hundred lifetimes more must you wait in this place. The tyrant watched the green threads until they had faded, until the spectre of Ionus was nothing more than two impossibly faint stars in the darkness, until the shadows hid the hard resolution on his face. I will endure, he growled. I will wait, and by will alone shall I forge my future. I will escape, I will ascend, and I will rule. Father Time had gone, and there was nothing now but the silent, leaden black of the crypt. Plague slept, and he waited. That's it for another episode of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for more tales of action and adventure.